RPG. I'm your host, Brendan Carrion. It's the last fucking episode of the year. What up? And we got Ashley. Ashley, what up? Hi, I'm I'm doing all right. I'm recovered. So last episode I recorded, I did with the plague. So I had coronavirus and um, yeah, so I'm, I'm at 99% now. So I've been trying to get better from that. So very isolated. <laughs> All right. Well, good. We're happy that you're well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're joined. We're joined. We're joined by Richie Buzzkill. What up, motherfucker? Not a much, man. Just uh, enjoying my leisurely end of the year, where I'm trying to cram books into my head to run things and uh, do prep for the show. So it's been oh, uh, it's been an it's been a nice, lovely uh, week and a half or so here, and uh, we'll see how that uh, ends up here in a minute. <laughs> Yeah, man, that sounds glorious AF. I myself have also had some time away from the old uh, salt mines, and uh, I have been spending it, uh, you know, uh, there's been some game-style pastimes, and there's also been a lot of time spent, as they said on Game of Thrones, in my cups. And um, today is like the first day where I'm like, not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm enjoying some nice sobriety here so that I can do the show with you guys and be cognizant and aware of what's going on around me. Uh, It's also 10 o'clock in the morning. So, um, you know, there's that. Uh, Cool. Great. Well, uh, we got, you know, we got a good crew here to do to do the last show of the year. Episode, Episode 106. And we're going to talk about kind of as much as I dislike kind of like pedantic uh, list making shows. We're going to kind of talk about some safety tools, safety at the table. And hopefully um, it won't just be us, you know, listing a bunch of shit. Hopefully we'll get into some exegesis. But who knows? Who knows? Uh, so uh, what's up with the uh, the black hole? Should we do black hole, guys? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. All right, great. Uh, the black hole is the uh, ever-sucking void into which all of our time, attention, and uh, resources go. It is role-playing. It is the greatest of hobbies. So uh, let's see. I'll start. Um, I got my uh, Esoteric Enterprises game back going going strong again. And um, I think because I missed the last episode, and that reminds me, I wanted to have I wanted to make a little note. I wanted to make a little ombudsman's note on the last episode, but, but we'll do that in a minute. Anyway, so what have I been working on? I... Uh, been playing, been playing Esoteric Enterprises with my pals, the Dungeon Punks guys. What up to uh, Brenton and Mark and Connor and Chris and Matt? What up? Um, and we did, we've done two episodes, and uh, dude, it's been great. It's been real great. Like, uh, there's a certain kind of feeling that comes when you've been playing a campaign, right? Where you've developed a shorthand, and people know who the characters are and the NPCs and stuff. And so, as a GM. If you're going to spend a lot of time talking, you can do it describing things that aren't like, well, this is what this NPC looks like, and this is your relationship with them and stuff stuff like that, right? You can describe more detailed stuff. And then the characters don't have to, the player characters don't have to justify themselves so much because their roles are established, and so they develop a shorthand. 
And that just means that not only can you slide into the role-playing a lot easier, but you, you have the potential to tell stories that are a lot more sophisticated. And um, unfortunately for me, especially over the last few years, the campaigns that I've run haven't gotten past that like first campaign stage where it's almost like season one of a TV show and everybody's like figuring out what it's going to be. You know what I'm saying? Like what it's going to look like and what it's going to sound like and how the actors are going to act to really enjoy the, the um, kind of the weight of uh, the inertia rather of season two. So uh, now that we're on to the second storyline, esoteric enterprises, Detroit has just been super gangbusters. Uh, We've had a couple of great episodes and uh, I'm just looking forward to doing more of that. Yeah, that's what I'm up to. I mean, that's it. I was going to talk about esoteric enterprises for a second. I'm I'm glad that you restarted that one for that the that group, and I think that you're right. the 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 seasons analogy is really, I think, key because running a game continuously can be really grinding. But I think doing it in more in like a season style, where where you're like, okay, we're going to do x number of we're going to get to this point right and Mm -hmm. then we're going to take a break and if we come back we come back and great the the show gets renewed and we get to come back to these these characters i think that's really a much better way more healthy way of doing it (laughs) yeah because just the like unending like kind of like okay well you just finished the dungeon in the mountain and uh you know I'll see you next week when you emerge from the mountain and go into the forest. You know, I mean, you can run a game like that and it'll just go on and on forever. And eventually that GM fatigue kicks in and you kind of don't know what you're doing anymore. I've definitely experienced that with vampire a lot, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, comic books and, uh, uh, serialized television have really given us this great model of, um, plan out like a a storyline. And I, I don't think you really have to do it with like, like, there's some people who who will write down the, the number of sessions that they think this storyline is going to take. But I'm very loose right now, so I would probably just say you could write down a goal. Like, we're going to get to this point dramatically, and then that's the end of the story. And then we're going to take a break and do something else for a little while. You know what I'm saying? So so I, I agree 100%, Richard. It keeps it, keeps it zesty, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So with the GM fatigue that you were talking about, because I've never run a long-time campaign like you have or anything, but... Um, would you say that it's harder if you're doing it like homebrew style or if you are running an adventure path or a module type thing, would that help with knowing what it is that you're doing? I think modules give you the structure that you need to yeah. uh, keep, to keep a like through line in the uh-huh. story. And yeah. even, I mean, I don't know. Um, I, I, I have a hard time with it because, at a certain point when you're running an ongoing campaign, there is so many like reoccurring NPCs, reoccurring locations, yeah. and then like little in jokes and stuff. Yeah. But it starts to feel kind of comfy and like a soap opera. Uh-huh. And that's really, to me, that's like where the adventure is kind of over. You know, I, I don't know. Um, it's sort of like, Parks and Rec, the last couple of seasons of Parks and Rec, where there was no, like, the, the humor was all based on, like, oh, but you know this about this character because you watch mm-hmm. all the other seasons, so it's so funny that this is happening. But there wasn't, like, um, 
there wasn't new new material being written for those characters. It was just kind of this endless regurgitation of old material. Yeah. And I, I I've had it where a module or series of modules can keep a more focus on things. Uh-huh. And I've also had it where a mod a series of modules I just kind of let myself go off into the weeds and turn it into fucking general hospital with vampires <laughs> and like who fucking cares? You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I get it. Um well if you're looking are you, if you're looking for um a challenge, something different, if I can go next, just try fucking Pathfinder 2 because that oh, game the difficulty oh my god the difficulty is so much higher than it is for Pathfinder 1 like well at least for the the uh module that we're doing um we had to bring in another player because we had a party of four and I talked about it a little bit last last episode but um like our wizard ran out of spell slots and our healer is a, a druid and he's fine but he doesn't have all of his shit into healing and so I mean, we, it was almost a TPK, like every session, it was, it was so difficult. And these are people that have been playing together for a really long time. So it's not one of those like, oh, well, you just don't mesh and you don't know how to work with each other and all of that. But um, yeah, we brought in another player because it's, it's so hard. I don't, I don't know what it is, but the, like, we're even overpowered from what we should be. Like when we were building our characters, the way that we did it was actually a little more powerful than it should have been, and we're still getting our asses kicked every single time. What, what so, module if you are it? looking for something more challenging, this one is the uh, Plague Stone. Plague Stone. Okay. Come on, RBK. Well, I wanted I to like make that. sure if this was their first somebody's first episode, they knew that when she's talking, and you know, oh, she didn't say the what the right. question. <laughs> That's the like you question. said, you Brendan. Hey, Richard. <laughs> If people don't know it because they've just been listening all the time, now it's, you know. Um, yeah, so. I, I stand corrected. I stand corrected. I am yeah. the <laughs> Yeah, it's um, Plague Stone is the module that we're doing right now. So, yeah. And, and after this, um, we're, I don't know, a couple sessions probably out from finishing Plague Stone. And uh, I bought the, I snagged the Humble Bundle when it was there for the PF2 stuff. So, I have just a bunch of stuff that I'm just giving to my GM to be like, here, if you can use this, do this thing. Like, so I don't know what we're going to do afterwards, but this one's, it's been, it's been challenging. So, and I'm playing a rogue, which is not my chosen class most of the time, but it's been, it's been fun and it's been interesting. So, 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 so help me out here. Plague Stone is a module in an adventure path. Is that right? Or is Plague Stone the name of the adventure path? Mm, I'm not sure. Or is it just a, just a module? It's just a module, I think. Oh, wow. Holy shit. And it's been that much of a grind, huh? What level are you? Uh, We are now at, I think he leveled us up to level two, like last session or the session before. So it's kind of the starter one to work on leveling your characters up. But this is very baptism by fire. Like, if you guys can get through this and level up, then you'll be fine. Because Jesus, like, it's it's been difficult. (laughs) Huh. All right. Yeah, but I'm into it. So yeah, if you want something a little more challenged. And um, it's funny because I was talking to Daryl about it and he's a very narrative gamer, which I enjoy as well. But he was like, the the concept of like a high difficulty is a very crunchy concept because in narrative gaming, it's just not like that's not a thing, you know, but in something like Pathfinder, you have like the armor classes and, you know, all of the things that you have to hit and damage and blah, blah, blah. So it's been... 
Well, the, it's been a ride. The difficulty, uh, the you know, the difficulty is whatever you want it to be in a narrative game, and a lot of narrative yes. gamers don't necessarily want to go in that very like, you know, gr- difficult, uh, you know, making it narratively difficult for them. And I, I find that sometimes a little like, guys, we need to like, at least I want to make it difficult for my character. I want to make it as tough as possible yeah. for my character because I find that mm-hmm. to be more satisfying. In a nar- in the narrative, so like I will I will yeah. try and like make it harder for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've never had a PPK. It might be coming this this time. I don't know. Like yeah. in this campaign, at some point, people are going to die. <laughs> so yeah, it should be interesting. I, I think I think that what you're saying is pretty interesting, Richard. In that, like people, I, I think that narrative gamers like to inject difficulty into the game. Because I, I feel like that's something that, that narrative gamers as a group kind of like to do. But then I think like traditional gamers see uh, the GM as the source of the problems and the players as the source of the solutions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you bring people who don't have like a strong like narrative history of playing into the game, then they so- sometimes kind of they look at the stuff that's on their sheet and they go, oh, well, the things on my sheet are supposed to be help me find solutions. And so I'm going to use them to find solutions for everything. And, they, and, and, and then we read that as being like, oh, you're being awfully kind to yourself. There's this, you know, what's going on? Where's the story? Right. Yep. Um, but uh, but once you get into narrative gaming, you'll start realizing that, like, those real saucy bits come from the part where you. Or you screw yourself, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. um, in doing some of the design work for Ravenous, like uh, Mark Diaz Truman was always was always encouraging me to, when writing a move, be like, you something in one of these moves where it's like choose from a list. You need to put one in there that's like bad, not like game alteringly bad, but that's mm-hmm. like like. Like a disadvantage. Yeah, like kind of like like when you like chew uh, a little hurt that's on the inside of your mouth bad, you know? Yeah. Because there will be a certain kind of player that's always like, ooh, like, ooh, that's the one. I choose that one. Like, oh, uh, or I make I fail my drive my drive check. And rather than just being like, oh, we run out of gas and are abandoned in the woods, I want to be like, oh, I, you know. We're surrounded by werewolves, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> our van is surrounded by werewolves. Now we have to negotiate with them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, there, there's there's bad, and then there's like like fun bad. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so what you got, Richard? What you been doing? What you been up to, bud? I have been. Uh, well, uh, so I've read. All of the mechanics, not all the stuff, all the world building stuff yet for Cyberpunk Red, but I've read all the mechanics and I ran a session yesterday. So, hmm. um, I, uh, I was d- supposed to be there, wasn't I? You were supposed to be there. Yes. <laughs> um, you yeah. weren't sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I wasn't going to mention it anyway. Uh, <laughs> why wouldn't you mention it? Well, I don't understand why you wouldn't be like, dude, what the fuck? Well, you How know, you not mention that? I, well, you, you mentioned earlier in the week, you're like, oh, I have this on this day and this on this day and this on this day. And I'm like, okay, 
you know, all right, you're an adult. <laughs> you can show up if, you know, it's not a job. Uh, I, you know, I, I prefer a, I prefer a nice, you know, a, a, a tap on the shoulder. Hey, uh, I can't come, you know, you know. I, I, that is on me, dude. And I, I know. Apologize. And that's, I apologize. that's that is bad. That is a bad friend and a bad player. I am sorry, dude. Uh, I, I, I am resolving at, right here to start using a, a plan, a planner again in uh, 2021. I threw out my planner. When COVID hit, I was like, I don't need it. I'm just going to be at home all the time. And it turns out that's actually not the case. So You that, still have stuff. <laughs> I, am, I am very sorry, Richard. I apologize. Please, please tell us about your game that I missed. Okay. Well, um, so we, um, being, a, being a little more narrative gamer and finding um, Roll20 to be kind of a, 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 a high hill to climb, I really didn't. Um, I had some stuff in my back pocket in roll 20, but it was never, it was not good enough for what I wanted to do. So we kind of just used roll 20 as a, as a, uh, a rolling platform, but essentially I, um, I made characters out of the book for everybody. And we, we ended up, I had ended up with three players. I had a, uh, a med tech, a media and a, uh, rocker boy. And, uh, they basically, I decided they, I was like, well, what kind of like framework do we want to use here? Cause it's, it's one of the things about cyberpunk red is they have kind of the team framework is part of the, like, it doesn't say early in the book, but kind of in the running the game, you're like, okay, you can frame it. You can decide what team they they're going to be. Or what I like to do is ask like, okay, well, do you want to be kind of like what we're talking about V5 with covens and stuff like that? What, what, co- what your your uh, uh, coven's going to be. And um, we decided they, they were all former kid gangers. So they, they, they had, uh, their gang was the Red Roses, which was a, uh, a socialist gang, a communist socialist gang, who uh, basically, they, these were the only three survivors of being uh, uh, the, their gang kind of got slaughtered by the uh, Red Red Chrome Legion, which was the the fascists, uh, the fascist gang in the in the um, in the area. So I basically uh, dropped a dead body in their lap that uh, happened to uh, when they were they were pouring some out for their dead homies because they were meeting back up because they they'd all kind of made good and, you know, gotten out a little bit. And uh I dropped a dead body in their lap and uh, they found a chip on it. And it turns out the Red Chrome Legion was after said chip and could track said chip. So uh, there was lots of shooting uh, Nazi gangers in the street and uh, um, kind of technology. And it turns out that the chip was a key to um, a bioweapon that uh, the one of the the company that made it wanted destroyed. So they... Uh, they teamed up with the socialists teamed up with the capitalists to uh, fight the Nazis. So it was sort of a micro world war two in its own little special way. So. Well, in any game where you get to shoot Nazis is, is a objective good on, on my part. So good job, man. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. I, I like I it. Do, I like those. I like those vibes. I do have one other thing that I forgot to mention in my black hole. So when you guys are done. Okay. Uh, sure. so. Uh, so uh so richard how did you find it how how did it how did you feel like it felt to you there uh, uh the game 
I I feel like there's one there's one big issue I have. I think the 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 dice system, the you know, stat plus skill plus roll all worked everywhere. The only thing I had was it wasn't quite as deadly as I would have liked. Oh, really? Interesting. And, and, and you felt wh- like they were pulling a little bit? No. What I mean was I think people had I think everybody had too many hit points. Because mm-hmm. like so like, so how how it works is when you hit with a you there's a difficulty value you have to hit to hit somebody. Um, unlike the old game where everybody could dodge all the time, whether you have to have at least an eight reflexes in order to dodge a bullet, to, to have a chance to dodge a bullet. Um, where in this you have a you just have a difficulty value you have to just hit somebody at a certain range. So when you hit. Um, their armor will, is like a damage reduction for a lot of fantasy games. So like, if you have like a seven armor, uh, the, um, whatever damage was rolled is reduced by seven. And then the, the, the target takes the rest. The, if you, if you, um, get any damage through, then their armor is reduced by one. So next round, their armor will be six. I love that. The way the armor works is fantastic. It's perfect because one of the problems that used to happen in 2020 is if you had such a high armor, you were basically invincible because, or you would just take very little damage because it would, it works sort of like that, but it didn't ablate. So you didn't, you never went, you never got any worse and it just took forever sometimes where this, I think people just had too high a hit points so like when you're rolling, um, you know, two to four d six or two to six d six, and they have like, you know, their damage reduction is like seven to eleven, kind of nominally. That kind of like the averages just barely plink at a reserve of hit points that's in the thirties. So. That, How fast do you recover hit points is really the thing. Well, you do, see, here's the thing is it, you, it takes time to recover hit points. But if I'm fighting, you know, like a ganger with 20 hit points, the fight could last like, you know, uh, eight rounds. And Did it feel long? Did it feel it, slow? It felt like slow, like people were not dying very quickly. Uh. Like, and... I think that was the I think if 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 the ganger on the street had 10 hit points, I think that's like a two to three turn combat. And that's sort of where I would like to see a, a like a, a on the street like mook combat, like a, a, a like a, a like a low level battle is like two to three turns. Like a turn is like three seconds. So like nine seconds and it's over. Like to me, that's like perfect where this was like we were i i chose the gangers they ran into were bodyguard i used the bodyguards template and they had like 38 hip 32 hit points so to even get them like bloodied or half down it was like it took a while to do that and yeah and and, and yeah, it, i don't know that doesn't sound kind of like the kind of fast tense kind of experience that you want to have right right exactly so that's why i was like thinking like if i was running it again i'd like to i'm 
I'll probably run it again with the same rules and try it, try it again just to see because they were the players were kind of rolling like shit. So like the their damage was kind of garbage. Like, um, and there was no stats for a frag grenade, which was really quite annoying. Like, <laughs> okay, like it doesn't it doesn't sound like you had a solo in your group either. We did not, but the solo w- would have been doing more damage. But like because of that, I kind of let people have a little bit of tiny preparedness, like from a trail, of, you know, um. So they could like say, well, I have one thing like that you, you don't have on your character. You have just one item that because I made I just took all the char- characters pre-prepared on their sheet. And one of the guys is like, no, I have a, I have a grenade and I stick it in the pocket of the ganger. Like, sweet. <laughs> That's fucking rad. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, and the grenade went off and it didn't do very much damage. So, oh, so you actually rolled for the damage. Yeah. He didn't just say, okay, he fucking dies. Well, I I wanted to see what, but they, there was no stats for it. So I, I should have just said, no, they they die. But, like, I wanted to try and, like, be as, because I'm learning the game, I wanted to be as yeah. close to the game yeah. rules. I was breaking the... You were testing the, the tolerances on it. Yeah. yeah. It, in, in most of the time, I would have just said, that guy's dead and the guy next to him is dead. <laughs> the, two, the two guys that there was you know and they say oh you should have two mooks per person in a in a like a like a fight and so i had six nazis there were three characters were fighting six nazis and it took freaking forever and they finally killed like three of them and got uh got them in the crossfire and the nazis were like they fucked off and went down the street to their Foffin wagon and got in and they decided to give chase in their in their in their van. And there was no stats for trucks in the game. I'm like, mm. like a, there's a compact car stat. So I just kind of used that and just gave it a few more hit points. I and, and, I suspect that and, th- and this could just be me. You could, you could tell me I'm, I'm wrong, but I suspect that because you're running like a, you said like a corp. Right? Did you say corp? No, no, no. Uh, uh, a uh, media, a, media, a, a med tech, and a rocker. And a rocker. Okay, so, like, ISIS, none of those are, like, combat kits, right? None of those are Right, but they were, they, that are dis- they actually got a pretty good, um, they have, like, a, a, they had, right out of the book, they had a skill of six and a stat in, in the same neighborhood. So, to hit something at relatively close, close range is only difficulty 13. So, I, I I suspect that when you put in the, when they assume you're going to mix in a certain number of combat classes mm. and that those combat classes are going to be so effective that they are making up for essentially the kind of like the handicap that the uh, um, that the non-combat classes have. Do you see what I'm saying? That that like could I, be. That could be. I'd like to get a solo in there, but I just there's like this like if it should be deadly for anybody. <laughs> That's kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That does expose a weakness in the, um, in the interior design. Right. Yeah. Cause we don't know that we don't, first of all, this little thing that I've just kind of thrown out, we don't actually know. Right. Uh, but if they did design around that, it's kind of like, Oh, well, of course they're going to have a fighter. Of course there's gonna be a fighter in the party. Then it's like, well, does that mean there has to be a fighter in the party? And if there isn't a fighter in the party, 
does that change the in, intrinsic experience of the game? And I don't love that. I don't love the idea yeah. that like, oh, well, a party needs a wizard, a fucking rogue, a healer, and uh, and, and a fighter. You know what I'm saying? If you don't have that, then you're doing it wrong. Espe- like, that's not, that's not fun to me, you know? Especially in a modern game. Like, in a modern... I can sort of understand in the world of fantasy that you need somebody that understands magic. Or you're kind of, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of have to change the way you're going to run that. But, like, in a modern game, the gun is the ultimate leveler. Like, <laughs> it's, it, the, the, the gun is the, like, if I shoot you, you're dead. And now, admittedly, mm-hmm. if you're naked, if you have no armor on, and I shoot you with my gun, like, you're probably blood, bloodied already, but you're maybe not mortally wounded. Which... I kind of think that maybe a default human could have like 10 hit points and then you could be either bloody or, you know, take five points of damage and be basically more uh, uh, bloodied or it's not called bloody. It's called something else, but it's essentially you get negative two to all actions and then mortally wounded is zero hit points. So like with a standard handgun, that's 3d six, you could just outright shoot a guy that's got no armor on. And the weird thing, the weird choice to me is I I like that they only have two locations of armor now, which is the head and the body, but all of the armor gave you the same uh, armor on the head and the body. (laughs) No, are you fucking for real? Was there some other stat like, like, oh, there's penalty, like penalties of skills or something? Um, Well, if you got, if you get up higher, like the higher the armor, the more likely you're going to suffer a reflex uh, and body. Or it's like a reflex uh, and move penalty as you get higher in armor. But like with uh, just Kevlar, there's no reflex or there's no deterrent. And you've got 11 armor to your head. And, and it's like an armor jacket. I'm like trying to figure out how like... Uh, uh, how you have the same armor when you just have a jacket, how do you have the same armor? Do you have like one of those hoodies you like flip up and like zip all the way to your forehead and you just got eye holes? Like I'm trying to figure out how that works, which is fine. If but really like, big lapels. Like, like really big lapels just that you turn out. Gigantic <laughs> lapels, like one foot lapels. Yeah, um, yeah, anime lapels. And and that's that's the part that I'm like trying to like really deal with the the system to me i think i would rule like no you've got to have a separate piece of armor for your head and then i the gangers wouldn't have had any armor on the head and then it would have incentivized people to try and shoot shoot them in the head ah you know okay so this to me is just like one of the problems when we're looking at these nostalgia games and when i picked up uh, cyberpunk red i was kind of like a little bit sketched out by it because um the first thing that happened when i started flipping through to start reading it and they were using um like gendered language and i'm gonna sound like i'm gonna sound like one of those guys right yeah uh where i'm like oh oh gendered language this is this bothers me but what it showed to me was a a lack of kind of like new thinking mm. a lack of contemporary perspective because i'm like why should a cyberpunk game that's literally being released in 2020 have he him language on every page right right why Mm -hmm. should there be this 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 presumption of gender when like 
So so many other games are just moving away from that, and they're using they thems so that so that you don't. This is not inferring anything about the reader. It's not inferring anything about the other players. Um, and I was like, that is not. That's not. That right there is kind of a little sign that this game is not going to be full of contemporary thought processes and contemporary tech. And what you're kind of telling me is, it just sounds like they're they sort of were trying to take a very old game and maybe kind of polish it a little bit and make it work a little bit better than just the the one from the 80s and 90s did. But it still sounds like a game that is like intrinsically kind of focused on old ways of thinking and old game design principles. Like, like, I mean, seriously, we were just talking a second ago about narrative gaming. And um, if you and I were writing a narrative cyberpunk game, we'd be like, well, the combat has to be fast. It has to feel very dangerous. There, you don't really want to spend time tracking hit points in a cyberpunk game. There should really just be two states of being. There should be active and dead, or maybe active, dying and dead. Like maybe, right? Yeah, I think I think I think wounded, active, wounded, and mortally wounded and dead. Like it's it's, uh, I I think I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I mean, the difference between mortally wounded and dead is like (laughs) very small. (laughs) And you and you can you can play test around those and see, and and you have an opportunity to play test and see how your theories on those ideas work. But in the middle of a cyberpunk game, unless it's like 1992 and you're 12 and you're staying up all night drinking Mountain Dew with your friends, you don't want to do a fucking 30 round gun battle. You know what I'm saying? Where you're like ticking off hit points on the like disposable faceless NPC characters. They're just, they're basically just there to die. Um, And uh, I think that that, I, I haven't had a real good chance to look at the game, but everything that you're telling me just it, it, it confirms my initial suspicions that this is like a very, very, very trad old school game. And I don't know that it's going to be satisfying necessarily to like new school players. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I agree. And I think I hate to say this, but I think that what happened was they took the um, what was it? The, the Witcher game. And just yeah. did a bit of reskinning because, and The Witcher is based Ooh, on the same system. The same system, the they Artel Sorian's fusion system has been the same since nineteen eighty seven or whatever. The it's basically because the reason I say that is they have shields, and huh. I I understand that there this is a thing you it, SWAT teams use shields I I understand that like that's riot a, shields a, riot sheets they're part of the combat in a modern game but a very small sub part but it's just one of those things where I never think of a cyberpunk character unless they're a fucking cop mm-hmm. carrying a shield like because it just right. seems so clunky and encumbering. And kind of, and the way they work is a little weird too, because it's not just armor; it's literally like hit points. It's like carrying a piece of cover with you. But and I mean, really, like if we're, we kind of get into this like idea of narrative games again, right? Yeah. And if you watch a lot of cyberpunk movies, and we, we do, yep, there, there's there's plenty of riot shields in those movies, and they're usually ninety nine percent in the background. It's usually cops like mm-hmm. uh, cording off a protest and beating up innocent citizens. And then there's some kind of like um, drama that's happening in front of us. And the, 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 the protest or the riot is, 
is the scene that's happening, right? But, but but really, we're looking at, like, Lenny Nero trying to, like, smuggle some chips or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, that's, that's the important thing. The idea that you're, like, going into your cyberpunk, like, equipment catalog, and you're like, oh, well, I'm going to compare the benefits of a shield versus the benefits of a, you know, Kevlar lines jacket, and it turns out that for my melee character, a shield is better, so I'm just going to be walking around with a fucking riot shield. It doesn't make sense. That does not make it doesn't make genre sense, right? Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't put us in the game, you know? And that and that's and, why I'm kind of like I feel like it was just they took the Witcher document and started reskinning it. <laughs> and the fact that they have stats for a shield and not for a frag grenade, like you said, that's a little They they weird. have a grenade launcher uh-huh. which I'm assuming fires a frag style grenade, but it doesn't it's just like I'm do. I'm literally when I'm running this. I have three copies of the book open. I have two PDFs of the same same. <laughs> Jesus Christ! And I have. Well, I'm trying to freaking run it by the rules, so I'm not. You know, yeah. normally I would just throw the book to the side and I would just oh my just God. pull shit out of my head. But like I'm trying to keep because the, there's no. That's the other thing. There's no freaking GM. Uh, uh, shield. There's no, there's no, right, there's no screen yet. No, no screen, no ref- GM guide, or and anything. in the back of the book. And normally, you know, the old school books, all the charts are in the back of the book. Mm-hmm. There are no charts in the back of this book. So that's an oversight. To me, that is a huge oversight. That like, at, it's you're already at 454 pages. I looked at it yesterday. You're already at 450 pages. Add another six to ten pages of charts. <laughs> just do yeah. it. Like it does. You've already got the stuff. Just stick them all together, and I would be I would be much happier running it as an old school game if I had all the charts like laid out before me. That's mm-hmm. yeah. I don't like hiding behind the sh- the the game master screen, but like it is what it is. So anyway. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean I, that was that was a pretty deep dive into Cyberpunk Red. It was. Uh, we're, uh, we're, I thought we were going to do an episode on that. <laughs> well, yeah, we're going to do one. We're going to do one in uh, in uh, 2021 because everything I've said is basically just like fucking theory, and I kind of would like to see some practice. So right. we'll get back to that in 2021. Still, it was very interesting hearing all these thoughts. I hope I'm, I'm absolutely certain that the listeners are um, as interested in that game as we are. So. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, Ashley, you said you had uh, something you kind of wanted to fill in? Yeah, there's just one more thing that we did um, every year. I talked about it last episode, which is why I wanted to come back around and talk about it this episode. So um, every year, uh, our GM for Pathfinder 1 campaign takes a break for one session, and one of our players fills in and runs a one-shot. So we played that um, the other night, and it was about four hours long. And it was all for share puns, like the musician's share. Like that was what it all came down to was uh, the monologue at the end was just lyrics from share songs. And she spent so much time and effort going through setting this whole thing up. And in the end, it was all share. Like the big bad evil guy at the end that we had to fight was share, except her name was Snieg, which is like Russian for snow. And if you look at the word, in Russian, it looks like it says share. So that's why she named her that. <laughs> like she went deep into this and it was, we were like three hours into the session before it hit that that's what was going on. And all of us are like, are you fucking kidding me? But it was hilarious. <laughs> it was so good. So it was just the, the battle at the end was all just 
share lyrics and was it on an aircraft carrier was that (laughs) actually we were on a boat (laughs) we walked into the room for the final battle and she's just like so you're on it looks like a ship and we're just like okay okay you know like because it was this weird time thing and it's a weird time thing because if she could turn back time that was the big punchline (laughs) so oh my god it was it was hilarious and amazing and it was four hours that I'll never get back, but I'm okay with it. So it was, it was a lot of fun. That was our special holiday one shot. All right. Good. Yeah. Good. Solid. Mm-hmm. Solid. Um, all right. So we're already, you know, pretty deep into this episode. And I don't think we've talked about, uh, like, gaming safety, like, at all. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll get to that in just a second after I get on my soapbox. Um, all right. So I missed the I missed the Kickstarter and it really bummed me out to miss that. I, I was not well. I can't say that I had COVID, uh, and you know Ashley did, and she still made it. But uh, I just, I just, I'll, I'll say that I was in pain. I was in like, I, don't, I won't get too into it. But I was in a great deal of pain, and I was in this, I was at that point where I was like, well, should I go to the doctor, or do I need to see if this, if I'm, if I, if I recover? And so it turned out I recovered. So huzzah. But I missed my opportunity to go on and talk about Kickstarter and um, my recent disappointment with it. And if you're a follower of the show, you may be familiar with the kind of like little internet campaign I ran a few weeks back to attempt to de-platform a game on Kickstarter called The Powers That Be. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're on the face the the uh, FMRPG Facebook, you can go. You can find uh, a link to that really easily. The the campaign failed. Okay. Um, the reason we were uh, trying to deplatform that game is because it was very, very obvious that the powers that be was a uh, anti-Semitic dog whistle. Uh, the game was about like a secret conspiracy that's fucking running everything, and guess what? It's full of all of this like Jewish imagery, right? Very, it's, it was incredibly bigoted, and if, uh, if I think if you're I think if you're Jewish, you probably would have seen it very clearly, very quickly. If you interact with Jewish people, you probably see it very clearly, very quickly. But not everybody has that perspective. And uh, so there were a number of people that had to have this explained to them. Uh, Using the platform of the show, I kind of asked the listeners to go on and complain to uh, Kickstarter and report them. And while we were unable to have the game deplatformed, which... I'd like to point out this game was actually bragging about the fact that it had been deplatformed on Facebook and Instagram previously, right? That was a selling point for it. That this game was so edgy and controversial. It had already been deplatformed in two places. And I think the fact that Facebook and Instagram deplatformed it was integral to the fact that it didn't fund. Okay. Those two institutions not giving these uh, dog whistly anti-Semites a platform meant that they weren't able to get money, okay? And that, that to me, kind of sticks in my craw when I think about Kickstarter, because Kickstarter was unwilling to do that. They took the complaints, the many registered complaints from FMRPG uh, listeners, and apparently what they did, because they were very consistent in what they said, I think, mm-hmm. and they approached the makers of the game, and they were like, this is what we are hearing um, can you explain it in a way that, that is to the contra of this view? And so <laughs> really? rather than canceling the game, 
what the <laughs> what the powers that be were allowed to do, the people that make it, enlightened games or some shit like that, were allowed to put up a fact in which they explained why their game was not a racist dog whistle. And if you go on their little fact, it's all full of all the same shit that you get from every fucking, like, white nationalist or, like, hard right, alt-right, right-winger. It's a bunch of half-truths, and it's a bunch of more dog whistles. It's a bunch of kind of, like, winking and nose-tapping. Um, there's a lot of kind of, like, oh, well, uh, you know history says which is like the classic you know oh uh, i'm not a nazi i'm just really into roman imagery and that's why i have it tattooed all over my body and it's like oh all right okay mm-hmm. a bunch of this kind of stuff right uh so there's two points to take out of this and the first point is pretty clearly uh, and I, I can't overstate this you can't argue with nazis okay you can't this idea of like, well, we're going to have reasoned conversations with them. We're going to debate them in the public square, which is what Kickstarter chose to do with enlightened games. Uh, it doesn't work because Nazis and alt-right people are bad actors. They don't actually in- want to argue with you. They might sit there and talk about how they want to just have a free exchange of ideas because that's how society works. The marketplace of ideas. We should all be allowed to talk about what it is we want to talk about. But they will then lie to you. They will they will just sit there and lie. They will distort their own pres, uh, positions. They will contort your positions. They will just work to undermine you. Um, and and that's evidenced by their interaction with Kickstarter, where Kickstarter said, hey, what's up with that? And they said, oh, well, let us just put up a bunch of lies and rationalizations. And Kickstarter was okay with that. The second point I want to make is that Kickstarter was okay with that. And that in and of itself really sours my interaction with Kickstarter. As you may remember, if you're like a longtime listener, we kind of went to the mattresses for those guys when they wanted to unionize. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were very much supportive of that. And um, I suppose there's probably always going to be a difference between the people who work at Kickstarter and corporate Kickstarter. And it's really difficult to know where these policies come from. But it's just evident that we are not going to be able to get what we want by interacting with Kickstarter. Uh, And, uh, you know, here's another hard left lesson for you. Working with institutions doesn't work because institutions want to protect what's important to them. And for Kickstarter, that's making money. So as long as these guys can say, oh, the fact that there's like a Star of David all over this fucking board of the powers that be, and you collect little jewels while you're faking uh, uh, a plague to uh, enforce lockdowns and 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 mind control vaccines, right? Uh, but but we're using the we're using the Star of David because it's an old school occult image. It doesn't have anything to do with anti-Semitism, right? Hmm. The fact that 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 Kickstarter is willing to say that message and that rhetoric is more is less important to us than the money. Tells us everything we need to know about Kickstarter, all right? And um, it's it's very, very, very disappointing. As much as Kickstarter has been a platform that has allowed games that would not exist to exist, it also will allow games like this to exist if we are not vigilant against them. So um, 
You know, if you as a listener are uh, as unimpressed with Kickstarter as me, then please get in touch with us. Let's try and figure out something that we can do. I'm not at the point yet where I want to say that I personally am pulling myself entirely off of Kickstarter. Uh, but in the near future, the, 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 the powers that be guys in Lightning Games, they have promised that they're coming back and that they did use the opportunity to create a mailing list. So even if they're not going to be able to mobilize via Instagram and Facebook, they're going to start mobilizing up of their, their mailing list. So we need to realize that they will be back. Kickstarter isn't going to stop them. We need to figure out what we're going to do to keep this game off the market. And uh, if there's listeners out there who know anything about Enlightened Games or the personnel that are named on that Kickstarter uh, as collaborators, then I want to know. Like, so get at me. I want to know whatever there is to know about these guys because something's got to be done and Kickstarter ain't going to do it. So that's my little thoughts on that. Sorry I was not able to say that on the last episode. Well, that's all right. Um, I think it's worth saying. Um, I think that um, it's kind of, I think, you know, I don't know what a good alternative would be because I think a lot of these other platforms have somewhat similar problems like Indiegogo, which I think is arguably the second place with a, with Kickstarter being the first mover kind of advantage. That's really difficult to displace them in a market, but uh, Indiegogo means they, if you, if everybody went to Indiegogo, they would have gotten whatever money they raised. So Mm -hmm. there's, uh, I think, yeah, the only solution I can think of is a game, you know, a, a, a new platform that has is is run by gamers for gamers and uh, might be a uh, might be somebody, you know, w- willing to listen to uh, more of the people. So anyway, that's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's sad. I'm, I'm thinking that uh, I might. If I'm able to get some more information on these guys. I want to reach out to the Anti-Defamation League. I think that the Anti-Defamation League might have more um, clout than we do, obviously. Mm. But it's going to be important for us to get on the Anti-Defamation League's radar to intercede with Kickstarter about this. Because I don't think that the Anti-Defamation League knows this game is being created, but I think that they would be very interested in finding that out. Because the Jewish people like understand how these things get weaponized against them. And I'm sure that they don't want this thing out there in the bloodstream because once these guys have funding and once they have the, you know, all the, the printing files set up and they're rolling off the fucking uh, uh, assembly lines, then it's out there in the world. It, it, the way that the way that capitalism works is it's always easier to reprint than it is to to get the ball rolling. You know what I'm saying? So an object that is motion in motion stays in motion, and what we need to do is um, not let this object to get in motion uh that's the first thing so um be kind of looking for that in 2021 the second that these guys rear their their ugly heads again i want to be i want to be ready for them right that having been said let's talk about safety at the table i, I think everybody uh who plays uh full metal rpg role-playing game type shit i think we all use safety tools right i mean i'm sure there's some people who don't but you guys use safety tools yeah I I mean in whenever I'm in uh you know out in public we definitely throw the X card down and explain it and do the uh do you know give you know make sure that and, and 
you know, it's there's so many that sometimes it's like, well, which ones were you going to go yeah. to the airport? <laughs> yeah. yeah well, and the X card, like I've heard a lot of argument actually against the X card as a safety tool because of the fact that you, if I'm uncomfortable, if something happens, um, I'm going to have to put myself out there and make it known that I'm uncomfortable and reach forward and touch the X card as opposed to having something like um, a hand signal or something like that, uh, which I think would be maybe a good thing to go toward because if I'm, if I'm in the middle of something and shit just got really real for me, like to pull myself out of that and reach forward and basically out myself to everyone at the table by making it known that I'm calling this, you know, as opposed to something like um, if I, if I tap my face next to my eye, like if the GM sees that, then they can switch gears instead of having to, you know, put myself out there in front of everybody. I like the idea of something like that rather than the X card. The X card was a really good idea to start with. And um, I think that it opened the door for more safety tools to become more normalized. But I don't know that um, it's I don't know that it's still the best thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I, I tend I agree with you. But the one of the problems is if I'm GMing, right, I'm, I'm just thinking of this as like, I don't, I'm mm-hmm. not necessarily looking directly at you now online. This might work better and that might yeah. be the way to do it online. If everybody's on video is, mm-hmm. is I can see your, your hand move up, but if you're not directly in my line of sight and you're know, like, you know, like wait, you have to like wave your hand to get my, you know, because I wear glasses, yeah. so I can't see in my periphery very well. Like mm-hmm. it, I, I think, uh, to me, the more, the, to me, I would prefer the solution of everyone using the X card more often for Mm -hmm. varying reasons. And that's Mm -hmm. tone reasons. That's uh, new idea reasons, all normalizing it uh, to me. And, and while I, you know, I've really only used it for those other reasons because I, I haven't found a situation that is really, I mean, I was really close when Adam was running, uh, uh, what was that game? Uh, he Vampire? was no, 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 no. Uh, uh, it was the uh, the one where we're going through a digestive system. Oh yeah, that uh, um, Zasarkala. Zasarkala. I was really yeah. close on Zasarkala. Be like, yeah, uh, I think we so need to funny. tone that's this back the... a little bit. <laughs> I've, I've I've never slammed an X card either, but the only time I've ever been close was Adam running Zasarkala at um at a convention in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I was like sitting there and I was like, I was like, man, I'm about to do it. I'm about to do it. This is a little much. Yeah. Mm. My, my stomach was starting to churn a little bit. I was like, mm, I think we need to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Interesting. We'll compare notes, not on the air, right, right. Uh, but, uh, but uh, <laughs> I'd be interested in hearing where you were getting ready to tap out. Yeah. Cause I could tell you right where I was. Um, so I think I think it's kind of interesting that you brought this up, Ashley. The idea that uh, making this hand signal is not the X card, because to me, um, like that's essentially just the X card. With uh, now we're getting into this idea of like philosophically, like what is the X card? Like right, if the yeah. X card is like laying in the middle of the table and I have to reach out and touch it. Mm-hmm. Is that somehow different than if, say, we all have an X card that we've written on? a note card that's with our character sheet. And uh, if the GM's doing something, we just hold it up. Say we just hold it up. Mm-hmm. Am I now not using the X card, right? Like, I mean, are you saying that the um, 
that the sign should be something like less noticeable or more discreet. Something more discreet. Yeah. Just because if there's something that is truly traumatizing and triggering for someone and they have to reach out in front of this group of people because people don't want to be the one that stops the play. You know what I mean? Like if everyone else is into it, I'm going to be like, well, I don't want to like have them see me as the person who's stopping this, you know, I don't want to ruin everyone else's fun because of this. But um, as far as whether or not you're using the X card correctly, that varies from table to table. I think that that's one of the things as the GM, you have these tools that you can use at your table and you use them GM discretion. You use them the way that you see fit for your table. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess two two points. The first point is Mm -hmm. there's this, there's that feeling of like, of like bitching out. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know I can tell you straight up, Richard and I are just sharing this story about like not tapping an X card. Mm-hmm. And the, to me, it was like, what held me back was like, Oh, I don't want to bitch out. I don't want to be right. the guy who's like, like, I mean, right. I was literally sitting at the table feeling nauseous and I was like, if this goes on any longer, I'm going to have to just cause I don't want to barf at the table. Right. I'm right. feeling crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet still there was this voice in my head that was like, don't, don't bitch out, Brendan. And right. it's like, and that's and that's not a that's not fair. That's not a fair inner voice, mm-hmm. and that inner voice has the strength of all the other people at the table who are not tapping the X card, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a completely legitimate uh, uh, criticism of what the X card is. Now, the second point is, like, is an X card an X card by any other name? Like, if, say we do have a gesture, say say it's like I, I tap my temple or, you know, I blink at you a whole bunch or something. Isn't that still just the X card? Like, isn't that yeah. just the X card with like a different different way of using it? It's reskinning the X card. Absolutely. It's the same thing in which what its purpose, it serves the same purpose. But if you can do something more discreet that if I have to, like, I'm short, if I have to stand up and reach across the fucking table to slam the X card, everyone's going to see me doing that. And I'm less likely to do that because I don't, as you say, want to bitch out. But right. if there's something I can do discreetly to get the GM's attention. And I think that as the GM, Richard, to your point, yeah, I wear glasses too, if I'm not wearing them, or if it's not in my periphery. I mean, if it is in my periphery, I'm not going to see it as well. But I think that it's important as the GM, especially if you're going through something, you know, is going to be touchy. Mm. Yes. You have to watch your players. Right. You know, you have to be aware of where where they're at. And, and I also think that one of the things that I think gets ignored a lot with safety tools is it is everyone's responsibility around the, the table that people are comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's not just the game masters. So yes, to, to me, I, and I understand not being uncomfortable on revealing a, uh, a fear, but I also think that it's everybody's responsibility to say, oh, okay, I need to step back now. Not not to think anything of whatever it is to say. Mm-hmm. And I know that's trying to tell people how to think, but I genuinely believe that if we're going to have safer tables, it is everybody's responsibility. And you also have to go, it's none of my fucking business. Yeah. Whatever it is, it could be somebody just... I mean, it could literally be the the most devastating thing is like uh, somebody passed away and they always said something and you don't yeah. want to, you know, like y- you you need to stop them talking about this, like whatever mm-hmm. it is. It doesn't, you know, and I, I think that that is definitely like a problem with safety tools is, tr- you know, that's that's the heart of it really is. I think we could be a much safer if we could figure out how to like overcome this. 
And mm-hmm. I almost considered some kind of like, I kind of considered some kind of electronic solution. If we're talking about physical tables, an electronic solution where you just had like, you had just a little like, uh, a okay. anonymous buzzer underneath the table that you could just like, there was a light sitting underneath uh, in front of the game master or in the middle of the table. And somebody course, just pushed. That's what you would go to is you'd be like, how can I engineer something? Well, yeah, yeah I'm a fucking engineer. <laughs> so right? I, I know. How can, how can I make a, make a toy that does this? Right. But right. I was just trying to think of a way where you, there was no movement at the table. There was no action. I, yeah. I understand that that's a, is a, you know, untenable, unusable solution. And that's why I never made such a thing. <laughs> I also uh, I also don't like that just because like what if you have it affixed to the bottom of the table or something and somebody's like knee like she's right. like they're like shaking their knee and they're like yeah. they're slamming the X card and you're like skipping through every scene and you're like I don't know what's going on yeah. like <laughs> why don't they like the whole story and well uh, yeah you, the, every idea you have to go through a bunch of ideas that don't work to get there so you have to throw all the ideas out there and figure out which one is going to work best so yeah, right. I, I mean I mean like there is this aspect to the social contract at the table and to the use of the X card that is based on communication. And like as much as I think anonymity is kind of important, right? I think there is an, an element where you're, where you're valuing anonymity too much. And perhaps uh, some of that can be defrayed with some of the other safety tools that have gone into wider circulation because I think, I think Ashley, I think you make a strong point that the, that the tech on the, on the X card is a little bit outdated because it only addresses what is happening right now. And it does put this kind of like group think pressure against you from actually using the tool. So there are some other things people use. Okay. And I don't know if you guys use any of these, um, then, uh, 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 let me know. There's lines and veils. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this, uh, thing called, uh, the Olivia Hill rule that I've never heard of before. This is, this, this, this only just became, either. this only just became, uh, 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 interesting. I mean, it's not really, it's, 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 it's it, I only, I only just learned about this one. Yeah. You're looking at the Necronautica thing. book, right? Yeah, I am. I am. <laughs> and then there's this thing I, uh, that's a, that's a, I think it's a gauntlet thing. Um, I don't know if this if this originated from Jason Cordova, but I know that I heard Jason Cordova using it first, and it's called Cats. It's an acronym called Cats, and I and I love it. I love what it is. Um, I hate that the acronym is Cats. So yes. uh, do do <laughs> do either of you either of you uh, use uh, lines and veils or cats? I've used lines and veils. I've never heard of the Olivia Hill rule or cats. Cause cats to me is just like, if something makes you upset, just knock it off, like knock books off the table to. Bring to a <laughs> I don't want the, this. Ah. The Olivia Hill rule is very interesting. Okay. Apparently it says, um, it basically just says the Olivia Hill rule is if you are a fascist, you are not allowed to play this game. Hmm. You're not welcome to play this game. It's against the rules. If you're reading this and thinking, you just call everyone you disagree with a fascist, then you're probably a fascist or incapable of drawing inferences from context and acknowledging a dangerous political climate that causes the oppressed to be hyperbolic. Don't play this game. Heal yourself. Grow. Learn. That is the Olivia Hill rule. The Olivia wow. Hill rule is, is if you're a fascist, you're not allowed to play this game. I kind of like the Olivia Hill rule. I don't know that I would put it in a game book. Mm-hmm. I think I'd more just like do what I do now, which is cultivate a public persona that like, like makes fascists not want to be involved in anything I'm involved yeah. in. 
Make them but not want to like, play with you. Make them uncomfortable. So yeah, exactly. But I do, I do, I like the concept of the Olivia Hill rules. So. Same, mm-hmm. same, um, very much so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we'll kind of break into. Let's just discuss lines and veils really quick. So lines and veils is this idea that you go through at the beginning of the game, and I think people actually make sheets for this, so you don't have to have a discussion. Mm-hmm. You can do it as a discussion. Or you can do it as like a worksheet that you then hand in anonymously to the GM, mm-hmm. and there's um. There's subject matter that is going to be behind lines, and then subject matter is going to be behind veils. So the stuff that's behind lines are like lines that cannot be crossed. Like, like there will be no child abuse in this game. Like there just won't be. Like it won't be inferred. It won't be referenced. That's not going to be in any characters' backstories. It's just not a thing in this game. And then veils is something that can be in the game, but you just don't want it going on as part of the story that is happening right now in front of you. Okay, like the veil is like, like oh, there's torture, right? Like you can be like, oh, your favorite NPC like tumbles out of a van and the van screeches off, and you go over and you say, what happened to favorite NPC? And they go, they tortured me. But that's like, that's as much torture as you're gonna get in the game. There's never gonna be a scene where like your character is like strapped to a chair and somebody's torturing yeah. you. You know what I'm saying? That's not gonna, that's not gonna happen. Like in the movies uh, or TV, like it doesn't happen on screen. It's inferred right. that it happens. It might be referred to, but it's not something that you have to actually live through. Yeah, yeah. There's a fade to black moment. And yeah. then, you know, yada, yada, yada stuff happens. And then, you know, you're allowed to role play the aftermath of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel, Ashley, like li- using utilizing lines and veils and then also utilizing the X card at the same mm-hmm. time in the same game would address your issues with the X card? Yeah, because there's things that I know if it's in a game, I'm going to have a bad time. So that type of stuff I can put in there saying this is something that is a hard line for me or if this is something that if it happens off screen or whatever, it's fine. Um, There are always going to be things that come up that you're not expecting. Like I didn't realize that spiders were going to be a thing for me today, but this is really squicking me out, you know. So or going through the intestines. I mean, like, I don't even know what I would consider a liner avail in that. Like <laughs> I wouldn't even know what to expect with something like that. But um, there are, there are certain things that people know about themselves that this is not something I want to have in my fun time game. Um, but then there are things that as you're going through kind of, you know, come out of left field. And so it's important, I think to have either like a contract at the table or the lines and veils or some, some sort of like, prep work discussion to just put it out there like informed consent i think is really important when you're jumping into a game with a group of people i, I think what, what do you think rbk one of the one of the i mean i think lines of veils have somewhat of a similar issue with uh the as the x card in the fact that you ki- you kind of want it i mean people recognize handwriting so i think the the to me the ultimate way to do this is to have an anonymous sheet on on the internet so you can't tell who actually you know you can do it on google sheets or whatever the other way to do that and the other thing that i think is important to start the sheet out with is the game master needs to put some stuff in there in the first place mm-hmm. just to encourage people to have a, that's a solid tool that's a solid tool have mm-hmm. something in there already that that it it, it um i think that is, those two things make it a better tool but I think you still one of the things is you almost have to review the lines and veils before every game. At least the game before master. But I would like 
each session like in a campaign type thing? Or are you talking one shots like uh, convention gaming? Well, or? before I would say before any session, if you're if you're using lines yeah. and veils, you have to mm-hmm. re- review them because people forget, and mm-hmm. the game master yeah. has to have that in their uh, in their mind, so they mm-hmm. need to review it too. I I have used it a little bit, but mo- you know, I I definitely think that in um, in more public gaming. I've definitely tried to do more of that and and but the problem with public gaming is I can't prepare by having a sheet. So like I definitely understand how it works really well for like the gauntlet where you have a community of people that play online so they have this like uh you know well, system well, set up but like it doesn't One of the things that's interesting about I think the gauntlet has created a worksheet and the worksheet has check boxes on it. So this idea of anonymity uh, can be reinforced by having like the stuff that they've interacted with the most is just on there. And all you have to do is check the box. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now to me, that's like, a, there's something about that. that I, I saw it once and I was like, man, this is, there's something about this kind of lame. They kind of like kind of lamed me out a little bit. I don't, I don't know where that's coming from. Maybe that's kind of some kind of shit I need to work through or something. But like just the idea of me, handing out a worksheet at the beginning of the game where people are going to like check boxes and then like hand it back to me. I don't like it. There's something about it. I don't like, you know, does that make sense? That makes no, sense. It doesn't but make it sense. Assert, I mean, it makes sense because you're, you're allowed to feel annoyed by something or whatever. But, um, I, my personal opinion is that if this is going to make someone feel safer at the table, I don't care if it annoys me. Yeah, yeah, I take your point. I take your point there. I mean, this kind of this comes back to the horror thing again, which is like yeah. it's like when you're running horror, horror needs to be transgressive and needs to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I run a, a horror game with my friends. And I always tell them, "This is an X card game. You can use the X card whenever you want." But we run on Discord, so we we already have adopted this. You make a hand sign thing rather mm-hmm. than touch a card because there's no card to touch. Yeah. And uh, I told them to like make an X with their arms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. a, bunch of those, a bunch of those guys are straight edge, and I guess that's a straight edge thing or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, so of course I'm just a laughing stock, um, oh. and no one ever uses the X card. So I'm I'm just in this spot where it's like, uh, uh, like I don't actually get to use these things as much. I I almost kind of wish that I used them more so I could have a more well rounded understanding of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when you're playing, there's different types of players. There are the types that want to get like just steeped into horror and like the the more awful, the better and all of that. And that's awesome because that's their escape and that's how they game and that's how they have fun. And then there's other people who don't like that, you know, and so it's a matter of just knowing who you're playing with. And another big safety tool is just building a community outside of the table. You know, if you have a community with these people, if you're being a dick to me, I know that it's in character because I know you as a person. I know you as a player. And so I know that you're not being a dick. Your character's being a dick. You know, one of the things that always I loved about role playing, like really melodramatic, like vampire games, is that Mm -hmm. I would have two players who might get into a really impassioned in character, like argument in game. And then I would see them be like, as the Susan scene was over, like somebody would say, like, everyone, you okay, bro? We good, we good, bro? Oh. And uh, and that always warms my heart. That like yeah. always warms my heart that the, the the connection is really between the two people, and it's not so much about this like 
you know, the game and winning and losing and all this other stuff. So, but I don't know how you, you know, gamify that interaction, you know? Yeah, right. Well, it's like, it's, it's like, the it's like, uh, the 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 O card is a circle card, whatever you want to call it. The the go card, like um, I've seen systems. There's been there's a couple other systems I've seen where they just have an O card out or a, a stoplight on the middle of the table. So hmm. so you're like something really terrible is happening, but you're like touching the green mm-hmm. on the on the stoplight, or you're like. It, you know, things are verging into, you know, the, like touching yellow to like caution people. Oh, yeah, people. I've heard of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've never used it, but it sounds like it's, it's to me, I, w- I always used like, I just made an O card. Like if something's weird, weird happening or you're describing something, you know, and somebody's like, yeah, right on, man. Like that or uh, we're good. Like keep going. Like I, I, <laughs> I like, I like boat. Like I like nor. To me, I think what needs to be done is normalize these things such that it's normal for people to reach out in the middle of the table. It's normal for people to like make hand signs or talk about like where they want to be so that we can make these environments safer. So mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of the stoplight and I've used the stoplight just not in gaming. Like there's other things that you can use the, you know, the safety tools for and things like that. So I've heard of the the red, yellow, green light thing. That's an important one too. Because if you're having fun, it's important to let them know you're having fun too. So, yeah, yeah, true, true, no doubt. So, you guys want to talk about cats real quick, and then we can yes. yeah. cats the acronym, not cats the animal. Or the cats animal. are assholes. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so uh, cats is an acronym. It stands for concept, aim, tone, and subject matter. So you might say like, okay, we're gonna play Cult Divinity Lost. The concept is this is like Gnostic horror. Like, nothing is as it seems. Uh, aim would be like, oh, it's like the descent of these characters. And uh, tone is going to be like super gritty and like a uh, fucking David Fincher movie, only worse. And subject matter is going to be like uh, like sex work and body horror. You know what I'm saying? So um, yeah. at that point, I mean, obviously, if you were at the table, you would have... a if, if you were me anyway, you'd have like a much more verbose description of what all those things were. And probably as a GM, I would write down those things and I would make sure that like every player had them uh, in their folder with their character sheet so they could reference them regularly. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Richard was saying with the lines and veils where it's like the GM should reference what they shouldn't be doing, but then the players would have an ability to reference what's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? Uh, have either of you guys played with cats before? No, I've never heard of it until right now, but I like it. I think that that's a good way to just kind of uh, debrief, but at the beginning. I don't know what you'd call brief, I guess. <laughs> brief your players on what it's going to be like. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I haven't used it because I just read about it because I was reading the same book you're reading. Um, but uh, I I think I kind of, it to me, it should be a little democratized or at least... Like I could see the GM writing it, but I also kind of want the game, the, the players to sign on board as it were like going over it. Not just like, here's your sheet that says cats. Like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go over this and we're going to talk about it and make sure that everybody's on board with it. So isn't, isn't, isn't cats kind of like the effort at creating buy-in that a lot of people kind of talked about at the early days of the X card when there's a lot of GM pushback on it. 
And they were like, no, by sitting down at the table, you are buying into this game and you're buying into this experience. And I'm not going to try and fuck you, but you also have to buy into something. And so don't you think that Cats gives the GM an opportunity to, especially if you were to combine Lions and Veils and Cats, mm-hmm. like then the GM is able to say like, this is what you're buying. This is the car. These are the, these are the, the features, you know? And if you don't want to play this game, then that's cool. You can like go play another game, but this is the game that we're running. Yeah. yeah, And I think that it goes back to in, informed consent because like, yes, if you're sitting at the table and you agree to play the game, then that's, that's your buy-in. That's you saying like, yes, I'm okay to be here, but it's important to know what you're going to be sitting down for. Yeah, and I think that's especially important for like a horror game um, mm-hmm. where the, you know, you don't necessarily know what kind of horror you're sitting down for. You could be sitting down for like, uh, you know, it's a, a Munchausen by you know, <laughs> by proxy or whatever you're, versus like a, a splatter horror, you know, like, um, you know, this, this could be all sorts of things. So I definitely think it's it it's, sounds really great. And I think it's a great way to like you know, have your, your blurb that's your, like your elevator pitch for the game and then Mm -hmm. cats, which is breaking that down and giving you more detail on that idea. Yeah, And that's your, that's your selling. That's the, you're buying into this, but also saying at the bottom of your sheet or your pitch, it's like, we're going to use lines and veil. So we're going to talk about all this other stuff too. So, Mm -hmm. right. Cause that, that, that is where cats kind of breaks down. Right is like you've dedicated your Friday night and you showed up at your friend's house with like a bag of chips and you're sitting down and you pick up the cat's sheet and you're like, what? Like this is a horror game about snuff films. I don't really want to be involved in that, you know, but you just, you drove over here already. Right. Or if you, uh, you're at Gen Con and you booked out this session and you bought the tickets and all that crap and you're sitting there and then you get the cat sheet and you're like, what the fuck, man? Like I got no interest in this. Uh, it, it is a little one-sided like that, but also again, like, um, it does, there is this interaction between the lines and veils and cats where it's like, like, say I read the cats write up and it's like the, the, you know, subject matter is Munchausen by proxy. Right. And then I go, I, I'm, I don't want medical horror. No medical horror. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. And then it's like, uh-oh, well, which one of these documents matters more? Which one has initiative? You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's it, it is a way of giving the Game Master, like, descriptions of things that, you know, like, I, I want to be able to do this. And if you can't, if you don't want to sign up for that, I totally, it's cool let's ju- I, you know let's play a different game at some point together i still want to run this game so yeah and, and i think that you and i have over the course of the years we've kind of gone back and forth about like what is the game master's position as like uh a, a force in the game mm-hmm. like is the game master an entertainer who's here to like read a bunch of lists about what they what people do and do not want in the game and essentially build a game by committee or is the game master like this, like iron handed figure who's going to make you sit through their personal novel? You know what I'm saying? And I think I think both of those, when taken to crazy extremes, are going to create like um, not great games. But I think over the years, you generally speaking have kind of like 
tended towards like a PBTA kind of like, let's all build this world together. And the GM will be more of a facilitator. Whereas I just come from that tradition of like, like, no, no, I have all these stories that I want to tell and I need to tell them to somebody and the, who I'm going to tell them to is you, you know what I'm saying? Um, and uh, I, I, I think you and I see eye to eye for the most part on stuff, but this is one of those one of those elements where each one of us just has like a like a slightly different take, and the and the way that the safety tools interact with those kind of brings some of those differences to the forefront. You know what I'm saying? Right, and it's I think it's a style thing, I, I, to me, and I think that both styles can use and benefit from using cats, or or something where you're just a a a, a, a style document or whatever you want to call it a. Uh, uh, like, look, this is what's, this is what the game is about. Cause, and then lines yeah. and veils. Cause, cause even if you didn't do cats and you just did an elevator pitch and said, we're going to, this is the places I want to go with this game, you know? And while uh, admittedly in more of my style, I don't necessarily, I just say, this is the, this is the, this is the genre, the system, whatever we're going to play. And that should speak for itself, but that, but I should probably be a little more upfront with what I want and need to, because as a game master, that's, that's the thing that, that, that I always probably suffer from is like, you know, it's like instead of telling the story I necessarily came to the table with, which I did. Sometimes I don't come to the table with the story. I'm just trying to like uh, facilitate a story coming out from some yeah. of the bits and pieces that I have rolling around mm-hmm. in my head because um, I'm a terrible writer. So uh, <laughs> so I swing towards my benefit of like just being improv where I can understand if you're a good writer that that, you know, having having things that you want and, 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 you know, everybody needs to be adaptable or otherwise you end up with, do you want to listen to my novel? (laughs) And I think that something like cats seems open enough that you can use it as a statement or a question. Like you can say, this is what it is. This is what we're doing. That's where it's at. And you can also kind of say, this is where it is. This is what we're planning on doing. Kind of what are your thoughts? You know, like you can, you can kind of use that more open-ended, I would think just with a little tweaking. Yeah, I think I'm just gonna rename it acts, and not, and make it because because there's like stories need acts. Yeah, that's and I'm perfect. Gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna de- deprive it of its uh, kind of of the fixation on felines, which I yeah. find is something that is kind of going on a lot in the role playing circles. I think if there's like a delineation between cat people and dog people, the vast majority of um, the gamer. Uh, subtype seems to be cat people. You forget and, about uh, Pugmire. You forgot about Pugmire. <laughs> <laughs> I said the vast majority, not all, not all, but I, I'm on Instagram a lot and I see a lot of people hanging out with their cats and their role playing books. And a lot of people going like, well, my cat jumped on the table in the middle of our game. What but he smackity do or whatever. And I'm all like, okay. all right well (laughs) anyway anyway. (laughs) i'm sure cats are great i'm sure they're swell friends Mm -hmm. do you guys have any uh additional thoughts on um on safety features and blah 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 that kind of thing i think closing thought for me is um you as a player are as responsible for your safety at a table as anyone else so if there's someone that you don't feel comfortable playing with and you think you're going into a session that is going to be uncomfortable or triggering for you um don't be afraid to back out 
Don't be afraid to not play. Don't be afraid to use the safety tools that are there. Um, For some people, it's like getting a motorcycle. The crash is worth the ride. Like the risk of crashing is worth the ride because it's fun. So uh, just be aware of what's going on and make sure that you're playing with people that you feel safe with if there's something that you feel is going to be difficult. And and don't be afraid to, if uh, ditto all the way down, uh, I also want to say that if you're playing in public, do not be afraid, especially in like a convention or a, a FLGS, do not be afraid to like go, if something really happens at the table that's terrible, that don't be afraid to know, go talk to somebody that is in control of the space. I mean, you can't always have that with a home game, but like, uh, you know, do not be afraid because people have gotten a, a shit ton better at that. And people are very aware of how some gamers can be very terrible to other people in whatever way. So, um, well, I think I think without putting too fine a point on it, Richard, as a convention organizer yourself, you're encouraging people to interact with the leadership of their local convention rather mm-hmm. than having a bad convention experience, right? Yes, absolutely. And yeah. that's that's the um, because we we are very aware that we are in a space where people can do terrible things and we want to you to have a good time. And we also want to get rid of bad elements. So uh, mm-hmm. those two goals are very pointed and, and we, we had a, a, you know, just a short thing from the last convention two years ago uh, was we had somebody that we thought had was talking to somebody else that, end up being everything was okay but like you you've never seen a bunch of gamers uh, a bunch of convention owners show up faster than than Mm. you have when we had what we thought was a something terrible going on so people are very aware this is not the old days this is not you know i'm sure there are still terrible convention runners out there actually i know there are terrible convention runners out there but if they if they do not respond to your needs then feel free to walk the fuck on out <laughs> and Open never go back and tell us all how terrible they are. So, yes. yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. You know, uh, out with the old and with the new, this is the, uh, uh, this is the fucking last episode of, of 2020. We're recording this on, on new year's Eve. And I think that's a great note to end on, which is, uh, new things going forward. Uh, full metal RPG is about new things. We are, we believe in the power of the future and we believe in the power of people to create the future. And so let's, you know, let's make the gaming space better in 2021, better than it was in 2020, better than it was in 2019. Every year we keep doing this, we keep making it better. So I love it. Happy New Year, motherfuckers. Happy New Year, cultists. Thank you for listening to the Full Metal RPG for another year. We'll see you. We'll see you in 2021. Cheers. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Thank you.